And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. So I might be about the only bodybuilding podcast host out there that honestly has nothing relevant or frankly even irrelevant to say about the Arnold Classic this last weekend. So um, what happened? Um, you know, a long-standing top-level pro, one in men's bodybuilding, um, some guy I've never heard of, one in men's physique, and um, some you know, barely 20-something-year-old one in women's physique that just kind of makes me want to quit entirely. So that's, you know, par for the course, pretty much, I think. So, um, you know, congrats to all the winners and not to trivialize um, anything, of course, but, um, you know, it's just not not something I really follow. Um, I've, I've talked about that before. The pro-level shows, they're just kind of detached from, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the reality that I deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is... Um, you know, I don't have any clients that are doing these top level pro shows, you know, a a lot of my clients, I've got a lot of first timers, um, you know, people that are, are chasing that pro card, um, people that have competed before and are just looking to step it up and are along that, that journey. So, you know, the, the top level pro shows, they don't even necessarily create any kind of a relevant standard for judging, um, that makes, has any kind of meaning for me. I'm looking more at the, the shows that I will monitor a little bit more closely are the like national level NPC shows. Those are a little bit more relevant. I think um, that uh, it makes a lot more sense. So anyway, Arnold Classic happened this weekend. People won. There were, you know, there were tears, um, screams of celebration, I'm sure, etc. So um, we, uh, I'll, I'll, I will leave that to other uh, more qualified, more interested parties to discuss. Um, but we've got some other stuff to talk about here. So um, let's get to it, shall we? We got, uh, first of all, um, I lied in my uh, little note from last week. Um, I, I do have some messages. They've just been sitting here for a little while. So we're going to get to those um, after um, uh, Will from Facebook uh, sent along this article to me, which I thought was, um, I mean, he, he sent it <laughs> as something humorous and uh, I, I like it. So this is from the AP Subject line, world's top-ranked bridge player suspended for doping. That is, yes, the card game. Um, The World Bridge Federation, bet you didn't know that was a thing, says the world's number one bridge player, bet you also didn't know that was a thing, has been suspended after failing a drug test. Question, of course, is why are bridge players being drug tested? Um... (laughs) I mean, who would have thought to do such a thing? Do they do that for cribbage? Do they do that at the World Series of Poker? Do they do they drug test bowlers? Golfers? I don't know. I I mean, at least those have some kind of physical element to it. Like if you uh if you have a, a bowler who's who's chucking things down the lane that look like ninety eight mile per hour fastballs. You, you might want to run a drug test through that guy, have him pee in a cup. Um, but otherwise, I'm like, man, bridge? Really? Um, th- this, th- this article is just littered with things that crack me up. Um, uh, quote, Karian Opsal, president of the Norwegian Bridge Federation, bet you didn't know that was a thing, said the drugs were not performance-enhancing. What would be a performance-enhancing drug for bridge? Um, <laughs> the, the, the guy, uh, 
I'm going to take a stab at this name. Um, he, he's from Norway, so you know, cut me some slack. To all, all listeners that we have in Norway, all probably zero of you, um, my apologies for, um, for uh, I'm about to butcher the name of one of your, uh, one of your countrymen. Ger Helgemo. Eh. Um, he has previously played for the Norwegian national team and is, quote, our biggest star. Um, that's a statement from the uh, Norwegian Bridge Federation's website. Um, it is his responsibility not to take substances that are on the doping list, even though, in this instance, they are not performance-enhancing in Bridge. So, um, th- there's, man, there's a lot of fodder here. Um, so, I, you know... This uh, this podcast is nothing if not uh, something that kind of you know we we tend to fly by the seat of our pants a little bit here you know that's just kind of how we do things so I I would love here if my keyboard would cooperate it's kind of on the fridge fritz lately here um, World Bridge Federation I want to go to their website okay it's worldbridge.org cool um, what is their their drug testing policy here so um. Let's see. Um, what do we have here? Governance. Okay. Disciplinary panel. Anti-doping hearing panel. Okay. Rules and regulations. Anti-doping. It's right there. All right, Mr. Helgamo. Uh, the rules were spelled out for you. So what, what is the anti-doping policy here? Let's just see. This, this, there isn't too much on this page here. So they do uh, apply to the WADA rules. This will become relevant for another thing we're going to discuss here momentarily. Um, so the WBF has adopted new anti-doping rules based on the revised code from the World Anti-Doping Agency, blah, 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 liable for testing under authority, blah, 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 for these championships, okay, um, failure to attend or refusal of a test if selected is deemed a positive test, okay, sure, 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 therapeutic use exemptions, okay, yep, yep, yep. Um, does not automatically recognize a therapeutic use exemption awarded by another organization. <laughs> so, man, so you could be taking like, you know, you could be on legit uh, TRT from your doctor, which typically will not qualify for a therapeutic use exemption because it does not have, uh, it does not meet the criteria of something that is uh, significantly impactful to your quality of life. Um, like just having a prescription for something like that, most drug testing or most organizations that do drug testing, including bodybuilding shows, will not accept that. Um, unless you have a really compelling, like, okay, this person has an autoimmune disease and they require this in order to, you know, function at a basic level or something like that. That's the kind of thing that a therapeutic use exemption would cover. So, you know, TRT ain't going to cut it. So you could be on TRT as a bridge player just because you've got low T and, you know, just... This this whole thing is ridiculous, ridiculous. I won't even get into the prohibited list because it's from WADA, so it's going to have all the standard fare on there. So anyway, uh, th- this will segue into a question from uh, Aaron, a client of mine, who had had this um, question or really just proposing a discussion topic. The thoughts on this upcoming Ben Weeder show, which is going to be in September in, I think it's in Montreal. Is that correct? I think so. Um, yeah, yeah, it's in Montreal, September 20th and 21st. Um, 
So uh, she said, as far as she knows, it's the first drug-tested pro show in the IFBB. As far as I know, that is also correct. Um, will drug-tested pro t shows be something that take off or not? So that's a great question, Aaron. Um, and it's, of course, that's impossible for me to say. And I'm interested in, in a slightly different take on this. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm reading some articles here and I did a little bit of research for this. So first of all, um, th there's an interesting side note to this that says that Jim Mannion, who is the president of the NPC and the Associated Pro League, um, has been, uh, he is banned um, by WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency. Um, he, he's on their, um, what do they call it here? The, there's something, they had a, a significant name on this list. It is the Prohibited Association List. Which means not only are they banned, but as an athlete who wants to be in compliance with the World Anti-Doping Agency, you cannot associate with people on this list. So if there is a person on this list, Jim Mannion, I'm looking at you, who is promoting and putting on a show, that is an association. So that is going to create a conflict of interest for anybody who wants to have a uh, any kind of affiliation with uh, any other organization that is in uh, uh, in league with the World Anti-Doping Agency. Now, one thing about this is, the, and that I, I don't quite understand how this gets around anything, but somebody's trying to be really clever here, and that, you know, this, um, possibly because they, they can't be directly associated with WADA because of Mannion, um, but they, they are instead just following WADA guidelines for drug testing. So, interesting note there. Um, so this is a show, and you know they, they talk about how you know they're they're trying to do this to to honor um, Ben Weeder. Okay, I get that. Um, so uh, it is a pro am show, September twentieth, twenty first in Montreal, and it is drug tested according to WADA guidelines, which means they're um, going by WADA testing procedures and. Uh, using the, the WADA banned substance list, which is pretty comprehensive. Um, now, the other thing is, you know, this, this is not a, an officially WADA-affiliated uh, event. So they're, they're abiding by the WADA principles, but, you know, there's no oversight. So they can say that, and they don't actually have to do it. Uh, which is kind of convenient. Um, the thing that I think is interested, so if you are a, uh, an IFBB pro who would likely not pass a drug test, um, which, let's be clear, that, that would be the majority of them. Um, would you go within a thousand miles of that show? No. No, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, regardless if you felt like you could beat the system or not, that's kind of irrelevant. You aren't going near it. You aren't because what if you don't beat the system? And then boom, your reputation is shot and your career as a professional bodybuilder is pretty much over. It's just there's all risk and no reward. You know, there are plenty of other pro shows that are not drug tested. Plus, okay, it's slimy. If you're gonna, if you would fail a drug test, but you think you can pass it, and you're gonna do that show anyway. You're a piece of shit. Sorry, and and you deserve to be caught and called out and have your career ruined because that's just crappy. Um, so now automatically now, the pool um, of uh, of potential competitors that could be in this show is drastically reduced. And I'm wondering like. 
are are they going to have men's bodybuilding <laughs> as as one of the divisions in this show, or is it just going to be like men's physique and bikini and maybe some figure? I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm curious to see how, how it all plays out, and and more than that, the thing that I think is going to be really one of the big unintended consequences of this is you're going to see. I, I think it's it's smart of them to do it in Canada, which, okay, I mean, th- there are a lot of pro shows. So somebody that's maybe down here in the States, um, they wouldn't do this show and, and just say, like, well, it's in Canada and, you know, I couldn't swing it, et cetera. So it's not necessarily like, uh, aha, I gotcha kind of thing for people that don't do this show. But you know that's what it's going to turn into. If if there is a pro that doesn't do this show, everybody's then going to have a line of questioning to them. Like, why aren't you doing the Montreal Natural Show? Oh, you know, family, it was vacation time. And some of those will be totally legit. And some of those will be like, I ain't going anywhere near that show. Are you kidding me? Uh, I think it'll be, it'll be fascinating. It'll be fascinating. But then also, you know, the people that do that show, I, I'd like to think then that like, hey, you know what? that person does not look like a natural, but apparently they are kudos to them. But again, I think there's enough, enough of a cloud of suspicion around the drug testing that even that's a difficult conclusion to draw. So, um, I really don't think that this will take off. I, my suspicion here is that this show is going to be a one and done. They'll do it this year and they won't even do this show next year, much less adding other shows like this to the calendar. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think the IFBB, um, (laughs) and in most circumstances they know their role and their role is not as a natural drug tested bodybuilding organization and they're trying this kudos to them Uh, i don't think this show is going to go over well i think they're going to have a lack of competitors that's going to um you know make it difficult to justify on a financial level doing it in the future or certainly adding additional shows like this um into the uh into the fray so that is my thought on that. I, I could be wrong. I mean, Lord knows I've been wrong about a lot and sometimes big things, sometimes little things. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 could be, uh, I could be way off base here. You never know. I don't think so. I, don't, I feel pretty confident, pretty confident. Like, you know, my, my wife and I will do this thing like, you know, we'll be out to dinner and we'll be eating somewhere and she'll be like, did you remember to close the garage door when we left? And be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm uh, 80% confident in that. And she'll look at me like, 80%, that's it? That's all you got? I'm like, I'm being honest. You know, I think, you know, four out of five chance that I probably I probably remember to close the garage door. Um, and here I would say my confidence level on this is, I'm going to say 93.6% sure that this is going to be a one and done show. This one in September is going to happen. It's, you know... Maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't. Maybe there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. Maybe there's not. I just don't think that financially um, there's going to be uh, enough of a benefit to to justify doing another show like this in the future. So great question, Aaron. Though I appreciate that. Let's uh, let's go to some voicemails. I got a few of these, so let's. Uh, I, I you know these came in a while back, um, frankly, and then you know all kinds of shit happened. And so I don't even remember what the subject of these are. So um, I'm going to hear them along with you here um, for the first time again. Um, so uh, once again, response is totally unrehearsed. Let's see what we got. Hi there, Darren. Sam from Chillicothe, Illinois again. Uh, hope your father's doing well. Hope you're well and your family as well. Uh, my question today is, 
deadlifts, whether it be Romania, stiff leg, whichever. Would you put them on a back day or would you put them on a leg day? And I tend to go pretty heavy on uh, on my leg days. So I usually do find a little bit of uh, difficulty going heavy on a deadlift and then being able to do heavy squats or vice versa. So uh, what would your what would your advice be? Would it be all right to put, you know, deadlifts on, you know, back day? If, you know, I'd have a few days rest in between back and legs and then be able to go heavy on squats on leg day? Thanks a lot. All right, Sam. Thank you. Very good question. Very good question. And you know, let's uh, let's think outside the box on this a little bit. So first of all, um, just in a vacuum, um, I would say it kind of depends on the stance. Um, I am more of an advocate of a sumo deadlift than of a, a conventional deadlift, um, and because of that, I will typically stick it on leg day. Uh, just because I feel like with that wider stance, you got a lot more glute and hamstring activation, and clearly the lats and the traps have to do some work as well. Their work is largely isometric, so the movers are your legs, and so I would stick it on leg day typically. Now, the other thing along with that is you, you've got to pick your battles a little bit. And you know, I've, I've done this before, but I certainly don't make a habit of it, is, of putting like, you know... Um, deadlifts and squats on the same leg day necessarily. So keep in mind, you don't have to have squats on leg day in order for it to be a good leg day. That is certainly, uh, and, and you know, if they, if you do have squats, they don't necessarily have to be conventional barbell squats, which are pretty metabolically taxing as are any type, but others will be a little bit different. So currently in my, in my current training split, I've got two leg days right now. On one day, um, uh, I've actually got a belt squat, taking advantage of some cool machinery that we have at the gym where I go to. Um, and uh, the other one is a, like a reverse V squat, basically. So a plate loaded, uh, basically like hammer strength um, squat machine. So I'm not doing any barbell squatting because I, I at this point, you know, I just turned 42 last weekend. Happy birthday to me. Um, my body just doesn't hold up well to heavy squats. Um, it does fine with lightweight squats, but also it's like, you know, I, I, I am kind of in a position right now where I need to move a little bit, a little bit of weight and I can much more comfortably do that on a machine. Um, so I don't have traditional squats as part of the arsenal. Now also full disclosure, I do not have deadlifts as part of my conventional, um, lifting routine. And I really never do. I am not a big deadlifter. Um, mechanically it's an ex exceptionally difficult movement for me because of injury. Um, and so I, I get my bang for the buck elsewhere. So I, I do not program uh, really any deadlifts for myself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I throw them into ones that I write, absolutely, just because I don't want my limitations to necessarily impact uh, all of my clients. That wouldn't necessarily be fair. But um, so by default, I would say, hey, you know what? Leg day is, is good. Now, um, Rack deadlifts, those absolutely belong on back day, of course. And I would rather, for, for back day, I would prefer rack deadlifts over um, conventional deadlifts simply because the, the back portion of it is the same, basically. I mean, you know, regardless of how, how deep you're going down into the stance, um, the, the recruitment of the back musculature is going to be the same. All you're doing by doing it in the rack is giving yourself a little bit of a head start and pulling the legs out of it a little bit. So that makes it a lot easier and a, a little bit more of a clear cut answer 
to put that on back day, of course. You're not going to put a rack deadlift on leg day. Let's be realistic about it. Um, but it's also, uh, it gives you, um, I mean, for, for me, it gives me a, a good way to, to justify not doing deadlifts at all. Like, I'm still doing the rack portion of it. It's getting down deep like that really causes a lot of body discomfort for me going from the floor. Um, it's never been something I'm particular, I've been particularly strong at, so... Um, so I, I prefer rack deadlifts. If I do pull from the floor, it'll be sumo style and I'll be, do that on leg day. Now, if you are going to do conventional deadlifts, I would say it's a little bit more of a toss up there. I mean, there's nothing necessarily wrong with doing that on a back day, but you've got to look at your overall, um, expected leg output as well. Like what do your leg workouts look like? Cause if they're like a couple of brutal things and like Sam, what you said is, you know, hit deadlifts on back day, then give yourself a few days and then hit legs. Yeah, you'd probably be fine with that. Now, if you're like me and you're hitting legs multiple, multiple times a week and like me, um, also like right now I'm hitting back and legs twice a week each. Um, so suddenly the schedule gets a lot more complicated because if you're going really hard and if you do, um, conventional deadlifts on back day and then you hit legs like the next day as it would be for me, um, and, and, and you, that's going to be a tough sell. It's going to be a tough sell. So you've got to look at it as part of the bigger picture as well. Um, how can you string it together so that you're not overdoing it so that you're giving your body a chance to recover? So I always am a fan of, you know, let's take the path of least resistance and simplify things a little bit. Let's put our rack deadlifts on back day. If we pull from the floor, let's do it sumo style just because it makes it a lot more clear. Like, okay, that, that should probably be on a leg day. And I just think that's a little bit easier as far as stiff legged deadlifts. Uh, I mean, if you're not doing that on leg day, you're doing something wrong. Uh, it's, you know, that is not as heavy. That is not going to be a taxing exercise for the back. So that's got to be on leg day for sure. Um, but good question. Good topic. Um, let's see. Yeah, we got more. We got more. Let's see what, what, what else we got here. What else we got? Hi there, Darren. Uh, I got an idea for uh, maybe something you want to talk about. Uh, I don't know if you talked about it before, but uh, what are your opinions on the bodybuilding style splits versus like full body workouts two to three times a week or every other day while incorporating trigger sessions or active rest days? And uh, also, what are your opinions on like Mike Metzer style training, like, you know, high intensity training, each body part to failure with one extended set, or even like, you know, doing one set per body part, you know, a day, you know, like taking a full 45 minutes to do, you know, a set, one set, starting low, raising the volume, bringing it down, you know, with drop sets or whatever. Uh, I'm really interested to hear what your opinions are on these and, uh, love your show. Thanks. All right, so if I had the Planet Fitness equivalent of a lunk alarm right now, I would sound it because um, you forgot to leave your name. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who I'm talking to here. That was a great question, though. Whoever you are, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so you totally need to call in and say, hey, I'm sorry, that was me. I am blah, blah. And here's another question. So the, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. That is how we follow up on this. So... Um, Short answer, I'm a big fan of the bro split, the bodybuilding style split. Why? We have decades of proof that it works and works well pretty much universally for almost everybody. Um, so that is, uh, it is a path that has led to the success of almost every um, IFBB pro, regardless, male or female, whatever. Uh, you know, it's, it's, what ha it's, it's a little bit more conventional, 
It's um, it doesn't require um, super super careful programming. I think there's a lot of margin of error that it that it kind of allows for and kind of bakes into the formula a little bit, um, and uh, it's easier to pull off successfully. I think, uh, and uh, you know, I mean, like I said, there's all kinds of evidence that it works, and I know that it's really popular to go against it these days and say, oh, well, you know, science shows that this is more effective. I'm like, yeah, that's great. And if you know me and you listen to this podcast and you know, you know, I, I, I like looking at studies and the science of things, but not in a vacuum. You can't just look at that. You have to, you have to also look at how things are applied in a practical real world way. So I like to try and get the, 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 um, the intersection uh, of those two different thoughts. And oftentimes they're coming from wildly separate uh, viewpoints. And so we kind of look at, you know, how we can find something that's most productive here. You know, uh, the, the, the main uh, argument in favor of bro splits is yeah, they work. You know, I, they, it, it is the foundational thing that is built almost every professional bodybuilding physique. So it's kind of hard to argue against that. Um, full body splits. And, and so the, the issue with a lot of these other things now, and, and you're talking like, you know, push pull legs, probably something like that, which I think there's some validity to that depending on where you're at. I think, especially if you're a little bit newer, it can be good. Um, you're also getting into a little bit more of like, uh, a little bit more of a metabolic realm where you're, you're working the body systems without truly, um, taxing a muscle group push pull legs is a little bit of an exception just because there isn't so much volume that you're throwing in there like you're not trying to hit everything in one session um so like you know push pull legs well part of that formula is legs and that also fits into a traditional bro split so and if you do a pull okay well that's back and biceps great so what you're really talking about is back and biceps chest shoulders triceps and legs the only thing that that really i mean that that is basically a form of a bro split it's just a three session split is all it is so um you know if you if you look at bro splits through the ages you will find tons of them that feature a back and bicep session not typically one of my favorite combinations but you know it's okay um, chest, shoulders, and triceps, a little less common just because, I mean, still, still very common, but a little less so simply because it's three muscle groups. That's a lot of stuff to get through in one session if you want to work things thoroughly. And then legs are legs, and everybody does legs. And some people do legs twice a day, like me, as I was talking about before. So um, that, that is kind of like a, uh, a, a stepbrother to a, a traditional bro split, something like push-pull legs. Full body splits, and then you're talking about menser style training as well, and I would put DC training into that same category as well. Now you're talking about things that are much more advanced and um, really require a... I mean, they're, they, they're exceptionally difficult to pull off well. Exceptionally difficult to pull off well. Very high barrier of entry on these. Not for beginners. Um, I would say me with, you know, I've got 20 years lifting experience under my belt. There, there are days when I feel like I can pull these off and there are days when I don't feel like I can. Part of that is because I'm not the toughest cookie in the jar necessarily. I've got times where I break <laughs> and th this, that, those styles of training are ones where if you break, um, mentally I'm talking about, 
um, it's, you're not going to succeed with it. You, you've got to be able to really dig deep and find some kind of dark hole to put yourself into in order for those to really be effective. So a full body workout, if you're going to do it, I mean, you're like, what's so hard about that? Well, okay. So you're going to do a full body workout and you're going to, you know, activate and try to thoroughly fatigue every muscle in your body in one session and not take four hours to do it. I'm sorry. That's hard as hell. That is hard as hell. It is more common that you're going to go in and do a CrossFit style workout that's tremendously um, cardio heavy, but isn't really uh, something that's going to create muscle fatigue in a way that's going to force the body to grow. So full full body splits, full body workouts, not a fan necessarily. Um, now, Menser style training, that high intensity training where you know, uh, basically, you know, hit it and quit it, you know, rather than, you know, what, what's the, the, uh, slogan there, stimulate, don't annihilate. So what you're looking to do is, you know, thoroughly tax a muscle as much as you possibly can in the shortest amount of time you possibly can, like 20 minutes and get the hell out of there. Great. How many of you can do that effectively? How many of you just feel like you're kind of starting to get into a groove when you're 20 minutes into the workout? Well, with menstrual style training, you've got to be well past the groove and into the point where you want to puke 20 minutes in. So, um, again, high barrier of entry um, for, for that style of training. DC training, um, this is dog crap training from Dante Trudell. Um, I, I'm a big fan. I really like it as, as something to augment more of a traditional bro style workout. Um, just because uh, again, to, to pull it off with the requisite level of intensity, I've done that. I've done DC training splits where, you know, I will do nothing but, um, DC training for a month. And, uh, honestly, I felt like it, it was not sufficient because my execution was off. You know, my intensity wasn't there. I couldn't bring it hard enough to really make that low volume approach work. The idea being that for a given body part, you will do um, one exercise per day. You do a couple of warm up sets and then one all out set to absolute abject failure using rest pause style training. Um, so, and because of that, you can hit like three body parts in a day, maybe even four. So you can train the whole body in maybe two days and then you rest and you do it again. So over the course of a week, you can hit every body part three times. Um, and when you hit something so thoroughly, um, with, with such a, an acute level of exhaustion, the idea also is that your recovery is faster. Um, I'm not sure that I buy into that, but the theory is, you know, you hit something like that and then a day off and then uh, the next day you're ready to hit it again. Um, so, you know, you, you bring in that extreme level of fatigue and the, the idea, and I did experience some of this, um, when you promote that level of exhaustion in that short amount of time, you know, your soreness develops a lot faster. Like you'll get same day soreness, not next day soreness. And then, you know, by the end of the next day, it's already kind of cleared up a little bit. So, um, it, it's rather, rather than, you know, like, um, peppering someone in a boxing match with a bunch of, you know, half ass jabs that are at about 60% intensity, you go for one knockout blow, boom. Um, but then, you know, this probably isn't a very good analogy, you know, you're able to recover faster from that knockout blow. 
<laughs> which isn't how it works, but um, that's the theory behind it anyway. Um, and then you were talking about like using a full 45 minutes for a set. I'm assuming you mean for like a, an exercise, right? A 45 minute set is going to be pretty awful. I can't think of anything worse that I could think of doing ever. But as far as using an entire workout for like one exercise, yeah, sure. Um, from a programming perspective, good luck keeping somebody engaged throughout something like that, especially long term. Um, I, I don't, I think that's a novelty. Um, and also, I mean, what, what if you pick an exercise where you really, you know, it's like, oh man, my, my shoulder doesn't really like this move or, um, you know, I'm, I'm having a tough time with mind muscle connection on this, or I'm just really weak on this exercise and I don't really feel like it's doing a whole lot. I mean, from a programming perspective for somebody like me to ride a workout like that, no way, no way. I, I, would, I would never do it. it. It is a, it can be a fun novelty thing. And I know that people have done this with like squats. You go in and like, I'm just going to squat for an hour call it good. Okay, great. I mean, that's fine. I mean, there's, just, there's some, uh, a fair number of strength programs, um, that are built around that principle. So that works, but for bodybuilding, no, I think variety is good. Um, the other thing about bodybuilding is, you know, you've got to be able to stay mentally engaged. And if there's too much sameness, too much repetition, not enough variety, your brain's going to check out at some point. I don't care how hardcore you are. Eventually your brain's gonna be like, all right, I've had enough of these effing lateral raises. I'm going to go do something else now. So, um, so generally speaking, I'm a big fan of the bro split um, just because it's been proven to work time and time and time again. Um, the others, less so, maybe a little bit more conditional, situational applications. Um, but for, for reliability, it's hard, hard to beat the bro split. It truly, truly is. Hey, Darren, it's Mark from Wilmington, North Carolina. So I had a two-part question. Um, so first of all, you know, when you go through a bulking cycle and, you know, you finally reach that point where you, you know, you've reached the goal of like the weight, what's the best possible way to maintain that size? I know it's difficult just, you know, keeping up the same amount of eating. Do you have to be stuck with that the entire time or is there a possibility of switching that up? Also, um, why is it that strength training um, only leads to mass for so long? Why is it that hyper, hyper, hypertrophy training uh, ends up being um, the best way for muscle growth? Obviously, it, it's in the name, but at the same time, I feel like powerlifters have this ability to get so large, but, you know, we've always heard that, you know, strength only leads to mass so much. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Okay, now that is a good, solid question. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. So, um Bulking and the best way to maintain size. So the key word there and the one that I really want to zero in on is the word maintain. Um, and I think a lot of people have this perception that maintenance is a passive process. And it is really anything but. Um, and I, I know, because, and not universally, I know that that's not universally what people think. But I think by default, that's the approach that a lot of people have. Like, okay, I got this lean, how can I maintain it? Or I put on this size, how can I maintain it? Well, you got to keep doing what you've been doing. And I think a lot of people have this perception. And Mark, I'm not saying this is you. But a lot of people have this perception that, okay, I, I worked to get this lean or I worked to put on this size and now I can just kind of chill and coast and um, maintain it. No, no. Now you can maintain some level of that by doing things a little less extreme, you know, doing a little less cardio, eating a little bit more or, or less perhaps, um, you know, taking an extra rest day here and there. But the thing is, I mean, you're still going to have to like, meal prep, you're still going to have to diet and or hit macros, you're still going to have to train a smattering of cardio here and there probably as well. So, you know, th this 
idea, and I think some people don't even really stop to think about it, but this subconscious idea of a passive maintenance phase does not exist. And uh, if you try to put that into practice, what you're going to find is that you don't maintain anything except some squishiness. That's the only thing that you can really maintain long-term by being passive about it. So if we accept that it can't be a passive thing, um, I, I could uh, I could answer this a couple ways. So if we're bulking up and we, we put on some size, how do we maintain that? You know, one one question, if I can break this into a couple different branches, one question there might be, how do I maintain that size when I then cut down? And I mean, the the easiest recipe for that is to maintain your lifting intensity while going with a moderate caloric deficit. So this is a lot easier if you are not, uh, not targeting a show or anything like that, because that fixed date on the calendar will more than likely make you accelerate things a little bit as it gets closer. And with that will come the sacrifice of a little bit of lean tissue. And that's, you know, that's baked into the cake for most preps. Um, I, I think that is, there, there, there's always this, uh, this notion that we don't want to lose any size during a, a prep. You know, we got to keep it all. I'm like, that's the goal. It's also not really practical um, without, you know, taking a really long time to prep and without some, some pretty, uh, pretty significant chemical assistance in most cases, I'd say as well. So, um, now if we want to maintain size, like we put on size and then, Hey, I'm not looking to cut down or get ready for a show. I just want to maintain that. Well, I mean, you got to keep eating at a pretty good level and you got to keep putting in the work. So to maintain it, you have to pretty much continue with the same drill that helped you put it on in the first place. Um, so now, regarding the training, so strength training, you know, it will help increase mass. And Mark, your, your point was only for so long. So why is hypertrophy better? Um, so let, let's dig into the different training modes just a little bit here. So strength training um, is, I, I would say, you know, I'm of the opinion that strength training is first and foremost a, a brain exercise. You're trying to train neural firing patterns in order I mean it's basically like you're trying to improve your coordination so that your body can move more weight and that is at its heart what strength is it's increased efficiency in order to move more weight um, like you just get better at the mechanics I mean all of these lifts are a skill a squat is a skill so just by getting better at squatting even if you don't actually develop um, you know additional muscle that will help you move more weight just by improving your skill, you get quote unquote stronger. Um, and if we just measure strength as the ability to move weight, I think the, uh, the brain has more to do with that in the early stages than, um, added muscle does also because, you know, you can learn a lot faster than you can build muscle. So it, you can see people who go from, you know, barely being able to eke out like a 95 pound squat to be able, able to squat 225 with some modest increases in size. Um, but just, they're so much better at the lift. If you really focus on your skill development, really break down, like, what are my weaknesses here? You know, what's wrong with my movement patterns? Do I have, you know, uh, muscular imbalances that are making this trickier? And if you really go in and try to attack those just by improving your mechanics and your execution, you can get a lot stronger again with the air quotes. So, um, I think also that the, um, the, the added, uh, the, the strength increases or the increases in, um, 
raw weight that you will move that are generated from additional muscle mass because you know muscle gain is slower and so then the the strength gains that come from that added mass are also slower this becomes something where there's kind of a law of diminishing returns now for an experienced power lifter there's only so much skill development you can do i mean it's it's kind of like um you know if you if you graph a derivative <laughs> We took a simple question on strength training versus hypertrophy training, and we had to go and bring calculus into the equation. So um, do, do this. Let's, let's just go to Google here really quick. You can do this along with me. If you're on the treadmill on your phone, just pull up your web browser and type in graph of a derivative. And go to images. And no, that, why did I say derivative? That's not what I want. Graph of a logarithm. Logarithmic function. There we go. Um, well, shoot. Now that, boy, my calculus is rusty here. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the idea. The axes are off. Uh, boy, my brother would just be having a field day. My brother, the math professor, he'd be like, seriously, Darren, you can't remember what this is? Shut up, Colin. I don't, I don't need your opinion on this. Um, okay, so this isn't the right idea here, but, you know, one of these, you know, uh, what is this? Uh, so a, a logarithmic function, basically, it, uh, on the, what is that, the x-axis um, going down, it approaches zero, but it never really gets there. It never really gets there. But the further it goes, as it, as it approaches infinity, it gets infinitely close. Um, so your, your strength gains kind of look like that, or your skill gains, um, your strength gains that come from improved skill kind of look like that, now that I've totally, like, totally botched up this entire analogy here. Um, you know, you can you can see some really big skill skill gains and strength gains from skill early on just by hammering some basics. And then you've been at it for a year. Okay, you can still make some improvements, but the the strength gains that you will see from that are less because let's be clear, your skill is pretty good. The the assumption here, if we want to really um, translate this to what a logarithmic function looks like is that you will never achieve a perfect squat, but the longer you go at it, um, you can get infinitely close to it. So, and, you know, clearly we are not robots, so not every rep of your squat is going to be the same. Um, you'll have some that are better, some that are worse, some that are more and less efficient. Um, but as a whole, you can get closer and closer and closer to perfection, but you will probably never actually achieve it. But the closer you get, you know, that those changes in your skill become smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Those increases become so much smaller so that then the, the strength gains that you see from that increased skill also become smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So with uh, powerlifters then, um, over time, a lot of them will start to focus more of, a, a, put, put more of a, a focus on developing additional muscle because that's something where, hey, you know, if I can put on five pounds of muscle, that's going to help me more at this stage than additional skill development. Um, but uh, at its at its core, you're focusing on skill development. You're tr trying to you know focus on brain training as much as anything else. So now with hypertrophy training, uh, it's it's got a lot less to do with that. And I would say almost universally, hypertrophy training is better regardless of what phase you are in. There are some people who like 
strength training. They like training like a power lifter. And during the off season between competitions, you know, I mean, it's not totally counterintuitive to do that while you're trying to focus on growth. I don't think it's optimal by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not a total waste of time. And if you're looking for some variety in your training, I think it can be helpful to kind of break things up. And then you can come back at the hypertrophy stuff, um, you know, a little fresh, like, oh, I haven't done this for a while. I've got a couple of clients that I do that with because they prefer it that way. And they, they realize like, okay, maybe it's not totally optimal, but it's good enough. Um, and you know, if, if we get, you know, 85% of the, the, uh, increase in size that we could, um, Hey, that's worth it just to kind of break it up a little bit. They enjoy that style of training. Great. I don't put myself in that category at all. I hate strength training. I've talked about that a lot just cause, uh, my, my body is not built for it. When I try to do that, everything just hurts, not in a productive way. Um, so with, uh, with hypertrophy training though, you know, I say it's almost universally better just because, uh, well, I mean, it, it depends on, it, it's more, more about your, your mental approach. Um, just because, and there's some element to this as well with strength training for sure. But, you know, I think with strength training and everybody's going to have a slightly different mental approach to this stuff. Um, you could put yourself under 500 pounds on a bar and, you know, imagine doing that and okay, or, or just pick a number that's relatively high for you, but maybe, you know, doable on a good day. Um, you know, for me, it'd be like, you know, three, 370, 380. I can imagine myself getting under that weight for um, a rep and banging it out and what I would have to do to talk myself up for that. Okay, well, now what if I wanted to grab some 20 pound dumbbells and do curls for two and a half minutes straight without a break? Um, you know, that's, it's a different kind of misery. Which one of those sounds more appealing? Which one of those scares you a little bit more? Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I have my thoughts just that I think hypertrophy training is a lot more sustainable and there's a lot lower risk of injury if you're doing it intelligently. Clearly, if you're doing things stupid, um, you can hurt yourself doing anything. Um, I, so I prefer a hypertrophy for a lot of reasons. Um, but uh, a lot of it's just the specificity principle. You know, you're, you're trying to train a muscle. You want a muscle to grow, so why don't you train it in a method that's optimal for that? Um, and also, you know, there's a certain amount of skill development that comes with that, but you're largely, it's like mental skill development. It's not necessarily brain, uh, neuron firing pattern training type stuff, but more about like mentally just toughening up. Because then when it comes time to cut, you're going to have to come into hypertrophy training. So you can either approach it like, oh, I haven't been doing this for a while. It's fresh. Woohoo. Or, yeah, I've been at this for a while and I'm a tougher son of a bitch now for it. And I know what I'm going to do. And, you know, I'm in the groove and now we're just going to step it up a notch. Um, I think you, you could approach it either way. And uh, it depends on your outlook and your preferences to some extent. But by default, um, a standard hypertrophy style split is always going to be superior, I think, um, on paper, but it's how it gets applied for each individual person that can make it, you know, a little bit, uh, make it slightly less of a, uh, a clear cut answer. So, um, I think I really just talked in circles on that one, Mark. So I apologize. I don't think that was terribly clear. So <laughs> I tried, what can I say? I tried, I tried. So, um, that's all I got now. Um, I think I'm, uh, yeah, you know what? This is typically where I will go into self-promotion land, but instead I'm just going to say, hey, you want to know anything about me? It's at fivestarphysique.com or you can go to thedropset.com and check it out and find everything you want from there. So there's your outro for today. So I'll be back, eh, I'm not sure when, sometime soon. Um, I was able to come back today, had plenty to talk about, which is great. So um, just 
you, you know how to find me and, and to see what I'm up to online. So if I'm, if I do some spontaneous travel or anything like that and go back and visit the family again, I will. I'm not totally sure when, probably not this week. Um, got to give them a little bit of time to miss me. So anyway, I appreciate y'all hanging out here for, uh, last 45 minutes or so with me. Thank you for lending me your ears. Uh, any questions, fire them off. 865-518-2974 is the call in number. Love to hear from you there. We'll play your stuff on a future episode and dive in. So thanks for listening once again. Have a great week.